You are listening to the Bay City Church Sermon Series, Seven Deadly Sins, a series designed to help us overcome our broken nature. For more video and audio resources, visit baycity.church. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you all this morning. Um, if you don't know who I am, if you're brand new, my name's Eddie. I'm the pastor here, Bay City Church. Glad you guys could all make it. And we have been in the midst of a, a series on the seven deadly sins. And so this week, we uh, find ourselves in wrath. Okay, we're talking about wrath. And um, do we have the schedule for the next couple coming up here? So these are the next couple. If you guys were <clears throat> looking for one specific and you're like, oh, I had a sin that I was hoping. Well, we, we missed, you missed that one. Okay, then you can go back on uh, our website and watch that or listen to it on the podcast. And so we have a few weeks left. And then after that, we're going to jump into a series in the Psalms. So I hope you guys will join us for one of these, <clears throat> excuse me, one of these upcoming uh, topics, I think these are really, really helpful. And the reason why we're going through them is it gives us an opportunity to really plumb the depths of our own soul, right? I mean, how often do we get to come to church and really um, do, do surgery on ourselves in a specific area? And so I feel like over the last few weeks, this has been actually kind of a valuable series for all of us. It has been for me, doing, getting to do the study, and I hope it's been profitable for you guys as well to get to plumb the depths and figure out where exactly um, God uh, might be wanting to work in our hearts. And so I hope you guys will join us for the rest of these. And we'll get right into wrath, but before I do that, I would really like to, uh, to pray for us. And so um, if, you, if you don't mind bowing your heads, let's do that. <clears throat> well, Father God, we do pray for um, your faithfulness this morning. Um, we it's, it's, not a, it's not a surprise to me that many will come in the doors today not even knowing what to expect at a church gathering. And so I do pray that ultimately we get out of the way this morning, that I get out of the way, that, that they receive you, that they receive the, the risen King, Lord Jesus Christ, in all his glory, that we might, in, these, in this text here in Jonah, be able to, to show who you are and what you've done through your Son on the cross, and then ultimately, Lord God, that your kingdom reign here in this room. And so I do want to pray um, for a hedge of protection here this morning, Lord, that, uh, that you, that you uh, reign your kingdom here this morning, that the Holy Spirit dwell here, that you would put up a fence uh, around this place and that you might reign, that only good would reign in this room this morning as we talk about a subject that's near and dear to your heart, Lord God. So we pray for that. We pray for protection. We pray for um, uh, hearts and minds to be open this morning as the Holy Spirit stirs in here and settles in. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm not gonna lie to you. When, when, when wrath came up, I was like, what am I gonna talk about, okay? And so I thought about this five minutes ago, so this is just real brief sermon. I'm just kidding. So wrath is a really interesting, does anyone think in their hearts, like, you know what, I've got a lot of wrath in me. <laughs> Who thinks that about themselves? You hear, you hear these other ones, pride, you know, lust, greed, even envy, you're like, I could have a little of that, but wrath, and no one's walking around going, man, I'm the most wrathful person I know. Like, I enact wrath everywhere I go. When I go into work, people feel the power and presence of my wrath, and I let people understand and know who I am as sovereign lord of this office building, right? <laughs> nobody, nobody does that, okay? So, so this was really interesting, and when we think of evil, we think of, or sorry, when we think of uh, wrath, rather, we think of this, like, evil or this unstoppable force, like a scary movie, right? Like this big evil who destroys the Catholic priest on their way to consuming all of the main characters of the movie, right? That's what we think about, right? But, but wrath is actually far more common than we all think. I think you kind of knew that was coming. It's actually much more common than we think. And in fact, when you're doing like word studies in the scriptures, and you're trying to figure out what does this word wrath mean, it's actually pretty closely related, if not exactly the same thing as anger. Now, who here gets angry? 
All of us, okay? Some of you are had a lobotomy. The rest of you, you've, you get angry, right? Everyone gets angry. Everyone is angry all the time. So that's what's going to make this tricky, is when you hear the word wrath, you're going to think of something else and not anger. But in fact, wrath and anger are almost exactly the same thing, okay? But what makes this even more tricky? What makes it even more tricky is that when you get angry, and I know you guys all know this, it clouds your judgment at times, doesn't it? It makes you do things you know you shouldn't have done. Or it makes you back out of situations when you should have stayed in, right? Do, do, you, do you all agree with that? Like, you do dumb things when you're angry, right? You, you make bad decisions when you're angry. Um, well, I used to live in Utah, and in Utah when you go up in hikes, you know, not, not a lot of rattlesnakes in the Bay Area. There are some, but in Utah there are a lot. And so if you go hiking, you usually see a few rattlesnakes along the way, or at least you hear the rattlesnakes. And what makes rattlesnakes so interesting? Well, rattlesnakes are interesting because when you walk by, like, has anyone here heard a rattlesnake? They make that tss, that rattle. And so you, you hear the, you're, you're walking or you're hiking down the, up the trail, and you hear the tss, rattle, and you're like, oh, time to stop, right? And by the way, I hate snakes. I am definitely afraid. So if I hear like a tree brush up against, you know, something, I, I think that's a rattle. I'm like, oh, this, tra- this, this is probably not the hike for me. Especially if I'm alone, I'm gone. Like, I'm back down the mountain. Like, I, I am not wasting any time, okay? I, I do not want to see a snake. But I have heard a few rattlesnakes before. And what does this rattlesnake do when it, like, when it rattles? It, it coils up in a circle, and it, it, it perches its head, and then its tail comes up in the middle, and it starts rattling, right? And it's rattling. And why is it rattling? Well, it, it, it's, it's sensing a nearby threat, right? And so it's getting angry. It's, it's getting ready to attack in case its space is violated, right? There may be a little fear. There may be a little animosity in there. And then what happens if you get too close? It attacks. Has anyone here been bitten by a snake? Good, okay. Everyone who is is probably dead, right? They, they died. <laughs> Like they're gone. Now, you can survive them if you have anti-venom, but they're very poisonous snakes, right? And so if you get bit by this rattlesnake, it hurts because it was trying to enact its, its wrath on the object of which it feared or it was protecting itself. So maybe it had, it had eggs it was protecting or it was protecting its own well-being, and so it attacked. But there's a phenomenon that happens with rattlesnakes sometimes. Sometimes they get so worked up and so fearful, and when they get ready to attack, they attack and strike the wrong thing. So they'll, they'll strike an object nearby. They'll, they'll hit a rock. But the most worrisome thing that a rattlesnake does oftentimes is it'll strike itself. You guys have heard of this. Rattlesnakes will accidentally bite their own bodies. And they'll grab on and inject venom into themselves. Now, rattlesnakes don't die from their own venom, but oftentimes rattlesnakes do die from the wounds of the bite. You see what I'm saying here? Its wrath was so intense, it clouded its judgment that it went and it attacked and it bit itself. Many of us, when we get angry, we seek to spit venom, don't we? We want to we enact our judgment on an object because something we love has been violated, and so we're going to spit our venom. And what we thought was justified in our anger ends up accidentally biting our own self, killing us in the process. You see what I'm saying? So here, wrath clouds our judgment, not allowing us to see whether it is helpful or whether it is harmful. True or not, anger and wrath are always helpful. I would say that would be false, okay? We, don't, we can't see. It doesn't allow us to see whether it's helpful or whether it is 
harmful. It's very difficult us to see. Now, today we're going to look at the back end of this story, Jonah. Now, many of us have heard the story of Jonah. Some of us have, right? The story of Jonah is this guy who basically is told by God to go into a city, Nineveh, and preach to them the good news so that they would eventually relent from their unrighteousness and turn to God. And Jonah gets upset, and he's like, I don't want to go there. So he takes off, and he gets on a boat. God throws him off the boat, and he is swallowed up by a fish. For how long? For, for three days. For those of you kids that you know, grew up in church, you know that Jonah was in the belly for three days. Okay? He was there for three full days, and he was there for three days only because Jonah decided that he had enough. He repented. He's like, okay, God, fine. Send me there. I'll go to Nineveh. I'll do it. And so God spits him out. He goes in. He preaches. Okay, and he preaches to this giant city, and that's where we find ourselves at the end of this. Like, what actually happens after this? But what we actually do find is there's an incredible case of misplaced anger at the end of this. You see, the story of Jonah doesn't end with a nice bow on top, right, like a Disney story. It actually ends with a a lot of confusion and some anger and some wrath. And we all have much to learn from this prophet Jonah. We have much to learn. But and I think, well, rather, I think what's going to happen here as we get into our definitions of wrath, we're going to find that Jonah's going to help us bake this out. So our first point, what is wrath exactly? What is wrath exactly? Do we have that point up there? No? Do we, there it is. Okay, boom. Not that you guys couldn't hear me, but I'd like to see it up there. What is wrath? Okay, so we're going to turn to Jonah, and we're going to find Jonah at the beginning of chapter 4. Now, what is his state at the beginning? Because listen, at the end of this, he just got done preaching, he comes off, now he sits up on the top of a mountain, he's looking over at the city Nineveh, and we find verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So we, some, this is like, Jonah's like some of you guys when you wake up in the morning, you just wake up mad, you're angry, okay? That's, you, until you get coffee, okay, you're Jonah, like that, this is Jonah. He's just exceedingly angry, meaning like he was boiling over. Like, it, it was too much for him. Like, his, his frame didn't even fit all of the anger he had. He's sitting there fuming at the situation, okay? That's where we find Jonah. Now, what made him angry? If you guys remember, like I just said, God calls Jonah into Nineveh to tell them to preach into Nineveh that judgment is coming so they stop being wicked, okay? Jonah doesn't want to do that, but God sends him anyway, so Jonah preaches, and he goes in there, and what happens? What happens to the city of Nineveh? It works. Can you imagine going into somewhere with tens of thousands of people and saying, hey, you guys all need to stop doing this. And everyone's like, you know what? I think you're right. One person flips this entire city. Flips this entire city. And so God's looking down and he's seeing what's happening in Nineveh. And chapter 3, verse 10, this is what what it says happens. When God saw what they did, that's how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he was due to them, and he did not do it. So God was planning judgment on a wicked city of Nineveh that was only doing evil continually, and God says, if they just go in and they, and they repent, and, and they listen to Jonah, I'll turn my wrath away from them. And what do they do? They turn away. So why is Jonah mad? He's mad that God didn't strike him with a meteor. He's mad. He, he, he's mad that God didn't flood them, that he didn't bring a fire and destroy their town. Jonah was displeased, but God was pleased. 
what pleased God displeased Jonah. And he's upset in this. God was gracious to this town, who, by the way, is not Israelite. They are a foreign city. And Jonah finds himself upset. He is angry. He did not seem to appreciate this city. He ran from him in the first place. God forced him to go. He preaches. They repent. And he's still upset at him. Jonah had wrath in his belly for this city of Nineveh, which brings me to kind of our definitions of wrath. Now, I'm going to give you kind of the baseline definition of wrath, which we all think wrath is, right? Wrath is like a strong anger and hate towards another person. Many would say, that, that makes sense. If I were to read the dictionary and it said that, I'd go, okay, that seems like that makes some sense. I'm not sure if it's sufficient. But, but anger, it, there's, there's words like anger in here, and so we need to figure out, okay, what exactly does that mean? We need to bake it out a little bit more. Okay, so the, the biblical look at that definition based on the story of Jonah is this. So look at the language that changes. Wrath is a misplaced anger towards a person or situation that has, vic that has been victimized, that which we love, right? So we, something has been victimized that we love, and, it is, and we have enact anger on something, even if the anger is misplaced, okay? And so let's focus in on this, this word misplaced here for a second. Jonah's wrath, oh, you can go back to the next one. Jonah's wrath, next one. <laughs> Jonah's wrath, yeah, there we go. Jonah's wrath, uh, wrath is a, no, 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 no okay. <laughs> go to the, the farthest one. The, Jonah's wrath, like ours at times, can be misplaced. Yeah, okay, there we go. Maybe I need a clicker up here, y'all. That yeah, will help me. Jonah's wrath, like ours can, at times, can be misplaced, okay? So we can have misplaced anger, Amen. Does anyone have misplaced anger? No, you're just totally justified in your anger all the time? Just you? Okay. Um, good for you. You can preach next week. But for the rest of us, this means that we get angry when we shouldn't be angry. Or it means we're angry about something that doesn't warrant anger. So you're angry when you're not supposed to be, or you're too angry when you're supposed to be, or you're angry when God is forgiven and you're still angry. See? Jonah is angry and full of wrath based on at least one of these two things, guys. Jonah either disliked Nineveh and didn't want them to be saved from destruction, it's possible, or he thought they did in fact deserve destruction and God should just not have relented. He should have just destroyed them. Either way, he wasn't excited. So again, the question for you is, have you ever been angry at someone or something when you shouldn't have been angry about it? Have you ever been angry at family or friends when you realize you shouldn't have been angry? Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me all the time with my kids, if I'm honest with you guys, okay? Walk into a room, they start fighting, I go in, I enact my wrath and judgment, I declare one of them wrong based on nothing other than they look the most guilty, and they're the one that goes in timeout, and then I cool down and realize I punished the wrong kid, okay? And the other kid is more crafty, and they got away with it, okay? I jumped the gun in my wrath, right? I jumped the gun in my anger. And so I, if you're like me, I think you probably have done that as well. And those are some good examples of misplaced anger. But quickly, does this mean we should never be angry? Is, anger, is there a place for anger? Well, actually, there is a place for anger. And no, we should not never be angry, okay? Anger is not seen as always a bad thing in the Bible, and oftentimes, anger is justified. There are justifiable reasons to be angry. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry, but do not sin. There are times for anger, and there are times for anger, but should your 
anger and your misplaced anger leads you into a sin where you would harm somebody else or yourself or do something silly or stupid, then we're talking about misplaced anger, not a justifiable anger. Now, some of you think, well, what, wait a second. Like, I thought about, like, when, when, I, when I thought about Christianity, I thought about, like, love. Like, God is this God of love. He's not this God of anger. And so how could love and wrath all both exist at the same time? Like, isn't God, like, all loving all the time? And what about us? Shouldn't we just be all loving all the time? Well, the answer to that is no. And the reason is, is that God is actually our best example of what it means to be angry in a biblical sense. You see, God's wrath is actually mentioned in sheer tonnage and number more times than the love of God in the totality of the Bible. We, we hear about God's wrath consistently and constantly, and this is not just an Old Testament thing, this is also a New Testament thing. It happens throughout the entire totality of the Bible, okay? But God's wrath is always shown in the context of his love. It's always shown in the context of his love. You see, wrath and love are actually two sides of the same coin. So when you get angry at something, the reason you're getting angry at it is because whatever you're angry at has violated something you love and care about. You see, there can't actually be real love without anger, and there can't be real anger without love. They're two sides of the same coin. You get angry when something or someone has been violated that you love, right? Think about it. Someone harms a child. You get angry at the fact that someone's harmed a child. That demonstrates your love for children or for that child, doesn't it? Right? But this, this actually can go south, though. This can actually go south. So we can actually begin to love the wrong things. You see, you, you can get mad at someone or angry at someone or wrathful at someone when they dishonor you. And what that does is it demonstrates your love for your reputation, your ego, you can begin to violently defend things that you love that you didn't know you loved, like yourself, like your own reputation, like who people think about you. And so when you get angry, you want to enact judgment, someone's disrespected you, someone's cut you up in traffic, you're actually angry the fact that they disrespected you. That's why you're angry. You're not mad because they didn't obey the traffic laws and you really desperately love traffic and you've been going to school for traffic lights and you, you care about the stop sign. No, you actually are mad that they cut you off because you're late to work because you slept in, because you didn't have time for coffee, because if you get to work late, it looks bad at, on you that your boss sees you walk in late. And this person is keeping you from being on time and maintaining the reputation that you have. Anger, anger towards defending yourself. It can go, it can absolutely go wrong. But God's character in this is better than ours. God, God's character is good, it's right, and it's perfect. And so God doesn't make the mistakes that we make in terms of anger. Psalm 1830 demonstrates this. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. So God is perfect and he's perfect and his, uh, word of, and his words prove true. He is not a liar. 1 John 1.5 says God is light in him. There's no darkness. God is pure. He's perfect. This means that God only gets angry when it is completely and totally justified. When he is defending something valuable and important to him, and it all is good, right, and perfect, you don't see God get angry for the wrong reasons. It does not happen, okay? Because of God's nature, his wrath is always well-placed. Because of his nature, his wrath is always well-placed. So, where does wrath hide, okay? Because, again, I'm still not convinced that you all see that you have wrath, okay? I'm not convinced, but we all do have it. So, where does it hide, 
Okay, where is this going to hide? Where is our wrath at? Because it's, 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 it's crouching at your door somewhere, okay? Here's the first place. It hides in our perspectives, in our perspectives. We, like Jonah, sometimes assume that we have the ultimate perspective. We assume that we've got all the facts. We assume that because we're so emotional in the moments of our anger, that that's all we need to be justified in how we're angry. And if you are angry, somebody else caused your anger. So it's kind of on them, too, that they've enacted their, your wrath, right? And so not only are we blame shifting and punishing other people, but it's also because our perspective, the great law that often hitches on the wrath is that we have the whole story. We have the whole story. So when we get angry, we know everything we know. We don't need to know about their situation or their facts. We just need to know that they're about to hear to get a taste of my wrath because they're wrong. But anger that looks justified to us often is very misplaced. Go figure, right? Go figure. Because of our nature, our, our wrath is often misplaced, right? Because of God's nature, his wrath is always well-placed. Because of our nature, our wrath is often misplaced. We often miss the mark with our, our wrath because we are sinners by nature and by choice. We, we sin against God. We're often wrong about our anger, just like the rattlesnake, just like the rattlesnake, when the rattlesnake targets, it hits itself, it hits the wrong target, we often hit the wrong target as well. We're not always capable of seeing our anger clearly, and we harm others and ourselves in our anger. So our, our perspective is an issue for us, but we also see that another place it hides is in search of our own appeasement. You see, when we get angry, we, we often think about enacting justice on a wrong that's happened, right? Either it happened to us or it happened to somebody else. Let's say you're upset about racial relations in the United States, right? And you want to enact, you want justice for those wrongs, right? And so you're going to enact justice on those things. But oftentimes, when we're enacting justice, we're not actually search, in search of the appeasement of the situation. We're actually looking for the appeasement of our own self. We're actually looking for our anger, people to placate to us in our emotions. We get angry seeking our own satisfaction in a given situation. And we're not just seeking justice in general, but we're seeking personal justice and satisfaction that is making us so angry. Now, you want a great example, we can just look at Jonah's story. Look with me at verse 2 and see how Jonah addresses um, the, the fact that God has um, saved Nineveh from, from wrath. Verse 2, it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh God, O oh Lord, is it not this what I said when I was, what, sorry, when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now that seems like a bit of an overreaction. Is anyone here like, can you believe that she got eliminated off the bachelorette? Like, kill me, like Lord God, like rapture me right now, God. Like, this is, the, this is the reaction that we're kind of getting from Jonah. It's not that bad. He's, he's kind of freaking out a little bit. And we actually notice in the original language of the text in the Hebrew, that's what this, this part of the Bible is written in originally is the Hebrew, that Jonah uses the words I, me, and my nine times in two verses. He's talking about himself. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made face, for I knew that you are a gracious God. So he's talking about himself. He's so focusing on his own perspective here. Who's been wronged in this passage? Nineveh's good. God is happy. The people on the boat that Jonah got thrown off, they're safe. The only person that's bitter is Jonah. 
It's just about him. Sometimes us, we, we, we get it, we like to enter ourselves into these like little drama fests and we stir up the emotions and start telling people, hey, I think you're violated, I think you're offended. Turns out you're the only one that's actually mad and everyone starts talking to each other like, hey, where did all this start? Turns out it was, it was you. Now if you're like, man, I don't know anybody like that. Well then, May, you're the person right here that's doing that, okay? It's you. you you're the one that's stepping into the drama and be like, man, what's going on here? And you're, you're, you're pushing that wrath into the room to create it all, just like Jonah is doing. He's making a ton out of nothing with God, right? Jonah's being a drama king, a drama queen, whatever you want to call it, and everything is the issue, right? Every time, you guys probably know these sorts of folks, you go into conversations, every conversation feels like World War III. It's like, man, there's a problem. You can never bring anything up. You walk on eggshells because if you do, the wrath of them is going to, Stacy or Jamie or Jonathan, whoever it is, they're going to come down on you with the wrath of 10,000 sons, and you're just going to be scorched earth, right? It's tough to deal with these people. Oftentimes, our wrath hides, masks itself in this search for justice, you actually want to be placated to. We actually want to be placated to, not the actual situation. Now, there is good times for justice. Justice is an important thing. It's necessary. And we'll get to that in a second. But you're not the solely person responsible for enacting the totality of justice on entire United States through your Twitter account, okay? <laughs> the last place it hides, and I think it's hiding here for most people, is in passivity. Your wrath's hiding in passivity. Ah, yes, it's so easy to point out the loud, angry person. Look at this person full of wrath. Oh my goodness, look at him, he's freaking out at the coffee shop. They didn't get the coffee order done. Oh my gosh, look at him, pathetic. And we judge him, it's so easy to point it out. You say, man, I'm not a wrathful person, I'm just a calm, relaxed individual, I'm quiet. But oftentimes, those, those that are most passive can deal the most insidious forms of wrath. You see, there is active wrath, right? The people we just were talking about. But then there's also a passive wrath as well. There's a, play, uh, there's a passive wrath that you can reap on people's heads like hot coals. Think about passive aggressive behavior. You make comments like, wow, looks like someone should clean the house to your roommates. And you're fuming, like you're over there like, you're twitching, but you said that really nicely so no one really, no one really bothered you. You're like, wow, it seems like the office is a little messy today. And inside you're storing up anger and wrath, right? You're bringing it all in. Right, you're trying to bury it deep, passive-aggressive. What about giving the cold shoulder to people? You know what? This person wronged me. This person did something terrible to me. I'm not talking to them anymore. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. I'm going to be short with them. They come up to me on work. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Move on. You're, you're enacting judgment on them, right? You are, rob, you, you are punishing them by removing your presence from them. You won't engage them because you want to you pull yourself back because you say, no, they don't deserve my presence anymore. They've just done too much. Are you angry at them? No. But are you cold? Are you distant? Are you bitter? Yeah. Bitterness, by the way, when you're bitter to people like that, it doesn't just shut off the angry emotions, it also shuts off the positive ones. And so when you're bitter, it doesn't just, it like, it's like surgery, like cortisone shot, it doesn't just numb the bad areas, it has to also numb the good areas. And so when you inject bitterness into your heart, and you begin passive aggressive with people, or you become giving them the cold shoulder or being short with them, you, not only can you not feel anger for them, but you will not be able to feel joy for them either when things go their way. You've altogether commit, uh, judged them. You've judged them. That's a one main way. And another way is just through ostracism. 
You just go, you, you, you vilify the person in your own heart. You go, I can't talk to them. I'm, I'm removing my presence for them. And you say, that'll show them. They'll see what they've done. And in 10 years, maybe they'll apologize. I haven't made it clear to them that I'm upset. But eventually, they'll probably see that I'm over here just not talking to them and kind of distant and kind of different. And then they'll come over and say something to me. Right? So wrath does hide there because I can feel that. There's plenty of wrath in that. It's just passive. Look what God, look how God responds, or look how, sorry, look how Jonah responds to, to what God says here in verse four. And the Lord said, do you, well, be well to be, do you do well to be angry? So, so God's saying, why are you mad? Like, is this helping you in any way? You've all been there, right? Where you're so upset and so, like, so much anger and so much hurt that, that, that people are like, hey, why are you mad? Is, are you okay? That's what God's saying to him. And then, then what does Jonah do? Verse five, Jonah went out of the city. And he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So what does he do? God's talking to him, and what does he do? He walks away. He walks away. He removes himself out of the situation. He takes himself up to a quiet place, and he's going to be alone. I, I can't deal with this right now. I'm just so angry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like God's, God will see what he did to me. God will know. Look what you've done, God. I'm just going to go over here and be alone. I'm going to sit by myself. He removes himself. He doesn't address the issue, so the situation gets fest. It starts to fester, and it gets worse. Now, this allows you to appear to be the victim here like Jonah, but in fact, you're actually bullying other people with your passive-aggressive nature. This is what's actually taking place here. Jonah's not happy with God. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about what wrath is, and we've got some places it hides. But I'm about to give you the secret sauce, okay? I'm about to give you the antidote to this wrath because some of you have that passive wrath, some of you have that active wrath. What's the antidote here? Patience is the antidote to wrath. Now, before you start to make for the exit because you're like, I'm oh, patient, that hasn't worked for me. Hold on a second. Well, demonstrates you're not patient. But another thing, <laughs> one, often one key advantage God has over us in dealing with anger is this one key phrase that is used about God all of the time. Slow to anger. Exodus 34, God is slow to anger. In the totality of Scripture, slow to anger is talked about 15 times in regards to God himself. And even our boy Jonah knew this about God. Look back at verse 2. It says, for I knew that you were gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Now, how could he know that? Because he just got mad at God for being patient with Nineveh. So that shows us that some of us know we need to be more patient, but we're not, right? That happens all of the time. Jonah is a, is a perfect example of this. The key to seeking reprieve from wrath for us is figuring out our patience. How do we learn this idea of patience? Now, when we think of patience, we think of like, I'm waiting for Christmas because I got a gift coming, right? I'm saving up to buy a new dresser or something, uh, a new uh, car. I'm saving up, so I'm being patient. We think about that when it regards to patience. But we very rarely think about patience in regards to our own emotions, but patience has tremendous value here. And the Bible speaks of patience to help us avoid quick temperness and wrath all of the time in the Bible. Like anytime if you get angry, either passively or actively, God's always kind of giving you an answer to this. And he's did it in Jonah. But look at James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 for me. I'll have it up here. 
It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, and what? Slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What doesn't it produce? Righteousness. Righteousness. Now we live in a day where everyone is so quick to run to their social media accounts, so quick to run to the picket signs, so quick to, to stand in judgment over politicians and athletes and movie stars, over the tweets that they gave 10 years ago or the statements they're making now. We are altogether not a patient society. We go to our YouTube channels and we, we, we fight with each other and we write troll-like comments on people and we're just, we're just angry against each other so quick. But we all know, and you guys have all been there, where you wish that if you had just waited a split second longer, you wouldn't have wrote that. It could have been a text message. It could have been a, a Facebook post. You're like, man, if I had just waited, wait a second, should I stop, enter, ooh. And like, they don't have that thing where you could pull your email back yet, like five minutes later, wouldn't that be cool? Like, yoink. If we could, that would be awesome. We don't have it yet. So we are not producing the righteousness of God by being, by being angry and being quick to, to speak and to be angry. It's not happening, okay? So, so we need to figure this out. The anger man, does, this quick-temperedness, this fast, this, listen, I know I'm right. I don't need to think too much about this. This does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, some think God is this big meanie, so they're comparing themselves to him, and they're like, well, God just kind of enacts wrath. He kills people quick. Like, he wipes out generations of people in the Old Testament. So, therefore, I'm just getting mad at this drive through guy, you know? He's just not bringing my order. What's the big deal? Well, God is slow to anger. And if you really study where God does enact judgment over people in the Scriptures, he's incredibly patient. Like, let's take the uh, Israelites' exile, for example, the people of God. There were, God had let 23 kings go by over 300 plus years, only one king was found to be perfectly righteous. The other 22 did bad things, and 20 of those 23 were only evil. They were evil. He let 23 kings go by over 300 plus years before he's like, okay, guys, we're, I, I, gotta, like, I gotta do something, okay? It wasn't like first day on the job, wow, man, King, King Joab's not working out. I mean, we gotta get rid of him. Like, let's turn and burn this guy. Give him severance, get him out of here. It's not like that. Like, he's, he's taking time, 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 time. Thousands sometimes of years go by before God judgment. Not only is God patient with Israel, but he's also patient with us. He's not just patient, patient in the conceptual realm. He's patient with us right now. Second uh, Peter 3, 9, look at this. It said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. People are like, I don't see God's blessing. Where is the God blessing me in my life right now? It's taking forever, and you're, you're, not, you're showing your impatience with God. But God's actually not being slow, or he's not actually not fulfilling it. He's just taking his time, but is patient towards you. God's patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is taking his time enacting judgment on those who actively rebel against him, so that way we can take our time to figure out who this guy is and repent and to come into his family. He is not sending lightning bolts down, hitting people in the face so that they, that they would be judged. God's taking his time and being incredibly slow and patient with us. Now, some of us know he's been patient with us, right? We know that. We've felt God's patience in our lives, right? We, we, we feel that and we've seen it. At the, but at the drop of the hat, 
We're like quick to judge others though, right? So we know God's patient with us, but we're not patient with them. Not at all. We're, we judge them either outwardly or inwardly too quickly, yeah? But here's a quick tip for you. God isn't just patient with you. He's patient with the people you're impatient with. So the people that you've enacted judgment and wrath on, God's actually patient with them as well. And at its root, unjust wrath says to God that, God, I know that you're patient with them, but I don't have that sort of standard. You see, God, I know you forgive them, but I can't. You essentially said to God, God, I know you're righteous, but I'm like, my standard's up here. And so they've actually got to get to your standard, not to God's standard, in order to be in good terms with you. You've said, to get, you've said to them, hey, listen, God may forgive you, but I don't. Yeah? That's what you're saying. And until you make it right with me, my wrath will stay upon you, whether passive or active. Now, again, I, I know you know that God is patient with them. I know we know that God is patient with them, but they need a dose of justice, don't they? You just want to enact a little justice, just a little of your own, just for good measure. Jesus' blood was shed on the cross as an, active, an act of wrath. That's why God's blood was shed. You see, the Bible says that all sin and fall short of the glory of God, that those who have sinned deserve wrath through, and judgment. And Jesus' death on the cross now was an act of wrath put on Jesus instead of us. So those that would believe in Jesus, Jesus would inherit the wrath meant for them, and it would come upon, come upon Jesus, right? It would go on Jesus, and Jesus is now this object of God's wrath. He's being poured out on, not because Jesus deserved it, but because we deserved it. You see what I'm saying? And this means that our broken, our broken past, our, our broken present, and maybe our broken future, all of those things were punished on Jesus already. You get what I'm saying? Past, present, future, all your sin, no matter what it is, poured out on Jesus for those who believe and worship Lord Jesus as king, Okay? And he, all he says is, if you would take that on, if you would take me on as your king, I will stand in the way and I will take your punishment, okay? Now, if you're angry when God is patient, you want to enact double jeopardy. You want there to be two punishments for the same crime. You want Jesus to pay for their sins, but you want them to pay for their sins to you as well. You want two penalties. You want more blood. If they wrong you, let's say, let's take a, a horrible example. Let's say, you, you know, uh, someone has cheated on someone in a marriage, and you're angry with the person that cheated on with your spouse. You say, I want justice. I want blood. I want condemnation on their soul. And what the counselor should say is that, well, the wrath has already been poured out for this sin. It's been poured out on Jesus. And so you actually have your justice already. What you want is more justice. What you want is double justice. You want two penalties for the same sin. You want to stick it to them, right? When you are angry where God has relented, you're essentially saying the cross was not enough. It wasn't sufficient for your, for your wrath, right? Patience comes, though, from the realization that Jesus has already brought justice to our situation. Can we put that one up? Good, there we go. Patience comes from the realization that Jesus has already brought justice to our situation. You want patience? You're forgetting the thing here. You're forgetting that the blood has already been shed for your tra the transgression against you. It's already been shed. 
When we realize that the penalty has already been paid, we no longer need to get so mad. It's finished already, don't you see? It's already done. Now, I, I often get this question, I'll end here. I often get this question like, man, Jesus was dying on this cross, he's absorbing all this wrath, and he's getting punished, and then people start mocking him. Do you guys remember this? Jesus, if you don't know, Jesus was hanging on the cross, and people are spitting on him, they're laughing at him, they're mocking him, they're calling him the king of the Jews. They even put a sign over him, mocking sign, Jesus, king of the Jews, ha, ha, ha. And they say, you're the king, are you? Well, here's a crown for you. And they'll twist a bunch of thorns together, and then they'll jam them onto his head. And they'll mock him and laugh at him. Now, this is the king of the universe, the sovereign king of the universe. And what does the king do? Because here's what I want him to do. Like, I watch a lot of superhero movies. I would love to see Jesus, boom, break off the cross and just start, just lightning bolts, just hitting them all. Guys are like, oh, no, I should have repented. Ah. And they're, they're going to hell. They're, they're all going to hell. Jesus like, go, hell for you, hell for you, hell for, like Oprah, you know what I mean? You go to hell and you go to hell. And everyone's just getting hit with lightning bolts and lightning bolts. And then Jesus goes, oh, I told you I was the king, you know? And then fiend, like, it's over. That's what I wanted to happen. But instead... That's not what happens, is it? What happens? Jesus dies. Six hours on a cross, he dies. Why does he die? Jesus dies because he knew that the truest form of judgment was right around the corner. That the truest form of justice was right around the corner. That I was inheriting the, 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 the taunting and the evil and the mocking. He was inheriting it all right there on the cross. And then three days later, he would rise up and go, See, even you too can be forgiven. He embra- it was like the, this is the biggest turn of events in the Bible, like a total 180. The Jews were expecting this like sovereign king who would lord with laws and government and kingship, and instead you get a humble Galilean peasant who dies. And he says, actually, you were thinking just in the physical. Spiritually, I just absorbed all of your wrath. You can be free to go if, you'd, if you would believe in me as your king. Now, the same is true for all of you here today. If you're someone here, you say, I'm a Christian, I get angry all the time, and I don't, know how to, I, don't, I don't know how to get rid of it. You need to tap into the power of your King Jesus, that, and you need to give meaning back to the cross and his crucifixion. You've robbed meaning out of the cross when you're angry and enact judgment on others. Jesus has paid for the judgment. Now, if you're here and you're like, man, I don't even know about this Christianity, I'm still figuring all this out. God can pay the penalty for your wrath as well that you are a sinner by nature and choice. And you could just raise your hands, I mess up all the time, don't I? I? I hurt other people, don't you? Jesus is willing to absorb that wrath as well meant for you and put it on him. Should you turn your back to your sin and turn your face to him, relent of your wrath and experience the true joy that is in the cross. Let's pray.